Welcome to the EDM Producer Podcast. This is a show where we talk to successful electronic music producers from around the world. We ask them what they're doing in the studio, we talk about their careers, go over some marketing advice. The whole idea is to help you guys out there do better in this field, become better musicians, get your music out there and get it heard. And we always have killer producers on the show. This show is no different. Kyle Stern is joining us today. You guys know him as Adam. And uh, he's calling us from Duluth, Minnesota, where tons of EDM is happening up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on, Kyle? Uh, not too much. Just, uh, yeah, just working through the grind. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, uh, what kind of music you do, and just a little bit more about you. Um, my music's more, I don't know, it's like new disco, sort of. Um, kind of around 100, 110 BPM. And uh, it's just, I don't know, it's sort of feel-good music, I guess. Nothing too uh, dramatic. It's just sort of fun. Cool. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I actually like it. I mean, um, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, I like that genre. Your music is actually great in that genre. Um, yeah, it's it, and it's, you described it perfectly. It's feel-good music. You could just sit there and chill and not worry about your mood getting any worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not like too in your face, or at least most of my songs aren't. But yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. You just sort of stay content. Yeah, exactly. And come up tone. You get a little happier. True. Um, one thing I do like about your music is it's very crisp. It's very full. It's, it's mixed fantastically. And I want to get into that in a little bit. But um, why don't you start off by telling us, how you got into this, doing this kind of music? Um, it it was a really sort of uh, staggered entrance. Um, well, <laughs> going way back, I first heard uh, Breathe by Prodigy, or The Prodigy, yeah. when I was in fifth grade. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was also the year that the like, elementary school gives out your band instruments that you get to choose from. And they wouldn't let me play the drums, so I had to play the trombone. And I was oh. super pissed about that. And uh, after I heard that song, I just like blew off every like practice session I was supposed to have. And I just try and like play parts of that song. <laughs> and then uh, I ended up quitting trombone that year. And uh, so that's, I guess, the first um, seed that was planted. But I guess um, in a completely non-unique way, like everyone else, Justice was my true um, sort of inspiration. Yeah, my first like real obsession, I guess. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, my uh, my friend showed it to me, and he's like, "Oh, I think they use this uh, this program called Ableton." It's like, okay, so <laughs> we dicked around with that for like a week, <laughs> and it's like this is kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then I didn't touch it again for like a year, and um, I think when I was like nineteen, I was finally just like, okay, I really want to do this. And I, uh, I went for it. And did you pick Ableton back up? Yeah, I started with Ableton. Um, used that for like a year. Then kind of messed around with Cubase just because I could buy it so cheap being a student. Yeah. And then I finally settled on Logic. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, I did see that in your Facebook videos. I usually try to guess the person's doll that they're using. <laughs> How how accurate accurate are you? I I spoiled it. I I saw it in your Facebook before I even had a chance to guess. With others, with other people, how, are you fairly accurate? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty <laughs> good. I don't know what it is. I just go by this instinct, and I'm usually right. That's kind of it's it's a cool talent. That's kind of useless. Yeah. Well, cool. you know, I've, <laughs> it's useless. It's good for what I'm doing here. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, one one guy came on and he's like, yeah, I just I'm using these two synths now, and I said Spire and Serum. And he goes, how did you know that? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me just say, it's first of all, it's commendable that you did not continue with the trombone. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I actually think it's, it's a, like a disservice to kids to give them these band instruments these days when there's so much other cool stuff that they could do. I mean, that's, to me, it's like, what century are we living in? Um, Give people MIDI controllers now and show them how to like use dolls. That's that's what I think people sh the kids should be learning. Yeah, or at least the option to. I yeah. Mean, yeah, real instruments are obviously great. I mean, I I ended up getting a drum kit when I was in seventh grade. That was what I grew up doing. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be a great 
I don't know. It's, I mean, it, it, you can make it complicated, but it can be really simple for kids too. Sure. Sure. And you could treat it as an instrument. Yeah. Um, well, how old are you now? <sighs> 25, which I, until last year, I didn't know was that old, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, now everyone I've been meeting, um, they're all like 19, 18. Yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ. It's it's especially skewed or initially was because I got my first like break when I was, I just turned 24 and I won a remix contest for Parade of Lights and I've become good friends with uh, their lead singer and he's 28. Yeah. So that was like my first person in the industry who I was friends with. So I was like, okay, I mean, He's older than me. <laughs> and then, yeah, you start looking at like SoundCloud profiles of all these people like Gal Matthias or whatever, and Muramasa or whatever, and they're all like 18. It's like, what? I know, man. Well, I don't tell people my age because it's embarrassing to me. Um, but it's, let me just say this, you're never too old, especially for this, you know? Uh, yeah. I'm very yeah. sad that I didn't, that this wasn't around sooner for me, this whole industry, but I'm still like picking it up just like the kids are, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, there is no age limit, but I, it's hard not to feel strange. Like, I mean, I didn't even know what Ableton was until I was almost 19. And some of these kids are already blowing up at that age. So. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's like they're, they come out of the womb and then like someone hands them an Ableton suite. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I think it's great. Like, I'm really happy for everyone that's doing that. It's yeah. Just, I don't know. I, Especially since, I don't know, I wanted to do well in college too. <laughs> so I wasn't, I didn't really dive in until I was probably 22, 23. Right, right. Yeah, everybody finds it at whatever time they find it. So Yeah, I mean, Tycho, Tycho's like 30 something. Yeah, you know, and like, well, Tiesto is older than me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, cool. Well, let's talk about uh, some production techniques. You said that yeah. you use Logic. Um, how did you? How'd that happen? Um, actually, because when I was first starting, I was actually working with um, my friend's older brother at the time, and he used Logic, and he was much more knowledgeable about me or than me at really everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I needed a new computer anyway, so I ended up just buying a MacBook Pro and. Giving the, or uh, yeah, making the switch so we could both kind of work in the same realm. And what do you think about it? I, I think I like it. I don't know if it's like Stockholm syndrome because I've been using it for so long right. that I just <laughs> I have to like it. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I don't think it's there's really too many limitations that I've run into, and um, I've developed a pretty good workflow with it. So. I have uh, really no complaints. That's cool. Well, tell us a little bit about your workflow. How how do you actually write a song? Um, it's not. I don't know. It's not like a standard thing. So, I uh, I in Logic you can save channel strips. So, like the synth and every single plugin you have on it. Um, and I have like a full sort of library of those saved up. So when I start a track, um. I usually just, I don't know, pull out a few standard ones. I have a lot of drums, channel strips saved up. And what I do is I, um, I bounce out the, uh, the MIDI file for each drum kit that I've made since a lot of the levels and whatnot are really dependent on the velocity. So that way, when I'm starting a track, it's just like I pull up the drums and you don't have to dick around with, I don't know, getting it to sound good again. Just drop in the MIDI file, and there you go. But um, once I do that, I don't know. I just bring all the key elements in and really um, just sort of, I don't know. I wait for something to click. It's, I don't know how common that is, but sometimes I'll have a clear vision, but a lot of the times I don't. So I don't know, I'll pull up some synths, maybe chop up some vocals and just kind of cycle through progressions and tempos until, uh, 
I don't know, a melody just sort of feels right since that is what's most important anyway. Huh. That's a cool way of doing it. I read one of your Facebook posts talking about, you said something along the lines of, you're surprised how many of my melodies are like happy accidents or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, um, I, uh, I can't remember what spawned me posting that, but yeah, I, it just had me thinking back. And like so many times, I'll like accidentally paste a MIDI track to a different track and hear what I did in a different way. And it's just like, oh, or I'll um, loop a section, but I'll, I don't know, I'll make the timing or the timings off on what I looped. So then it just sounds different or the chord progression cuts off and it's just like, oh, well, I could just make that change. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it's cool, but it's scary because it's like, I wish I could just be like, I want this. I'm going to do that. That does sound good. Cool. I don't know how many songs are actually written like intentionally like that, though. I I bet most hits are happy accidents. You're Um, probably right. I hope it would make me feel a lot better. (laughs) I think it is. And um, it, it it is like that. You just... For me, anyway, I'll take my laptop out. I'll start writing a song, and the first one I I usually write that's and I spend the most time on sucks. And then the next thing I do immediately after that might be like the best melody I ever wrote, but it only took me like three seconds. It's almost like you got to get warmed up sometimes and just. Um, oh I, yeah. I encourage people to just take all the knobs on every one of their plugins and just turn them all the way one way and then back and just see what the thing does because I I know I. I, I fight with this. I have this like reservation of like, I don't want to break anything. Even though these are all digital plugins, you don't want to turn something that you're not quite supposed to or don't know what it is. And uh, when I ever get like that conservative about it, I it, usually I, I lose a lot. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, one of the things I was going to mention later is just that, like, I don't know, just don't be afraid to just go crazy stacking a bunch of plugins on a channel to just completely destroy a sound or something. Right. Because, I mean, sure it might technically make this i don't know signal or whatever sound worse but it could be really cool right you got to try it exactly well tell us uh, some of your favorite production tips what are some of the things that you found you really like to do that you that have like the best effect in your production that you discovered um a huge huge reason or part of why i can or not can, because I don't think I always do it, but get sort of clean mixes is um, using uh, an ADSR envelope on drum samples. Um, I I don't really know why, but I didn't do it for the first, I didn't even think about doing it for the first few years. And I don't know, the amount of control it gives you over um, those samples and just reducing the tail or something. Right. Or if you're layering um, two or three uh, kick drum uh, samples or something, I mean, you can take the attack off of one of them or just, I mean, really anything. And it's, it just helps. You can really just shape it into the exact precise sort of segment that you want instead of having uh, overlapping sort of sounds going on. Yeah, that's very cool. What do you use to do that, to do that? Just Logic Sampler or? Uh, no, I actually use Battery for like Battery Four by Native Instruments for like ninety five percent of my drums. Um, and there's a for each cell in Battery, there's um, a whole sort of effects chain at the bottom, and the ADSR is the first option on those. Sweet, that's a great and, tip, man. Yeah, well, it's funny because <laughs> I. The reason I found out about it is because um, it was probably a year and a half ago is when I was like, I'm going to make clean mixes. Like, that's all I want to do right now. <laughs> and it's like, who's my idol for that? It's like, it's Oliver. Those dudes have some of the highest production value I can think of. <laughs> and just the tightest drums. And I remember seeing a tweet. And he's like, I use battery. And I was like, shit, I better get battery. <laughs> Did they so talk did. about using the envelope on it? Uh, no, but I guarantee they do. Right. Their stuff's just so so tight. Um, and yeah, that's that's sort of what spawned that. 
That's um, cool that you still figured that out, though. I mean, they just they just gave you battery. You figured out the ADSL. <laughs> That's true. I I mean, it's it's. I don't want to give myself too much credit. It's a pretty simple <laughs> interface, and I I suggest at least checking it out. Sure, sure. It's uh. It's also great because it. You can get complicated with it by routing out the cells to like channels within your DAW, but. I personally just um, I just keep everything inside batteries because it can be limiting at times. But I think I think having limitations while doing this stuff is important because there are just so many options. Right. And yeah, when you're forced to just settle, or if something's not working, then you just change it. Um, I think that can be. It can really help things move along. I agree. Yeah, you, you kind of have to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Uh, great tip. Yeah, yeah. Um, for other stuff, um, I mean, it's pretty simple, but um, just setting up a bus for reverb um, and just being able to EQ it separately or compress it or whatever you want or add separate effects to it as opposed to having um, sort of individual uh, plugins right. on like specific tracks, it's... I think it, it it not only helps unify the mix as you have a majority of your tracks just being sent to that one reverb, but um, well, and it saves CPU uh, or processing power. Right. Because, <laughs> at least in Logic, uh, Space Designer, I believe is what it's called. Right. They're, is that what you um, use for reverb? Yeah, I just use their stock plugin, and but it's a massive CPU hog, so. Ah. Uh. That that is a great tip, and I know that that makes my because I'm kind of I only use one reverb a lot of times, and it'll be on a bus, and uh, I know that it helps my mixes stay clean. It's kind of tough though because so many synths come with pre like built-in effects, and they're all, they're all turned on and like cranked up, and they sound great. But if you start putting them all together, you're right; these different reverbs start overlapping, and it just gets a little muddy. I know exactly. I I struggle with literally that exact same thing. You open up massive. You have this cool patch. You toss on their reverb. It's like, whoa, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> yep. And then it's just like, eh. Once you finally listen to it with everything, so it's true. It's true. It's amazing. Like once you actually do a mix down and you have your mix all the way you want it, if you start soloing individual tracks, like I'm always amazed of how much I'm actually cutting out of these instruments with the EQ. That, like, if they're on their own, they they actually sound like crap now. Oh, I know. Right. It's. I mean, it's kind of like. <laughs> Because before doing electronic music, I was always interested in sort of more rock stuff and getting good sounding guitars. And it's like your guitar in like rock music isn't going to sound that great without a great bass under it. Because I mean, that's that's where you get. I mean, they kind of sound like one a lot of the time. Right, right. Um, that's what really gives it that punch. Huh. Um. Anyway, um, let's see. I don't know if this is technically a production tip, but checking a reference track as you go has been a really big help for me because, I mean, I know they're important sort of by the end when you're really mixing your track, but I also think it's easy to get um, sort of lost in your sort of production world while you're starting a track and you're like, yeah, this... I mean, you work on it for a few hours and like, this is sounding pretty good. And then, I don't know, you can pull up a track quick that you know of that you like that might be similar and you're like, you hear it quick and you're like, man, my kick drum is awful mm-hmm. and my mix is just not even close. Yeah, Because I, I think starting, um, starting out strong with good bass samples like drums especially, um, that makes it so much easier to just end up with a good sounding mix. Right. Right. That's a great tip. And that's something I definitely need to work on. I almost never use reference tracks until it's too late. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, they're great at the end, but sometimes you'll hear it and you're like, I'm just not even close. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And you're like, I'm too deep into this now to really go back. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, I mean, not for the sake of like copying a track or something, but just mix wise, I feel like that's uh a really helpful thing to do. Yeah, that's a great um, idea. Let's see here. Um, 
Foxango Span, the analyzer plugin, um, I guess to go on or down that sort of track with monitoring while you go, um, it's just like a frequency analyzer. Yeah. And I, I use that all throughout making a song. Um, on what? On the master or? Yeah. Yeah. Just on the master, especially because I, I only use headphones. Um, wow. Yeah. Because I've, I've just been living in different apartments for the past five years. Let me guess. You're using Sennheiser HD280s. AKG K702s. Oh, nice. Way better. <laughs> Way better than my Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> They're open-backed, too. They are. That was a huge adjustment for me. Well, you, yeah, that's... Well, that... I think if you didn't have open-back, your mixes wouldn't come out as good. Because when you told me you mix on headphones, I was really surprised. Because your mixes sound great. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, well, I started out with... Um, what are they? The ATH... The Audio-Technica M50s. Yeah. And I see everyone always suggesting those. And um, so I was like, okay, I'll buy them. And I mean, those were cool for a year and a half, two years. Yeah, they're fun, but they're not flat. No, not at all. And I mean, once I got my um, AKGs, things got a lot better, a lot faster. (laughs) That's really cool. All right, what's your audio interface? Um. (laughs) I have this old PreSonus Fire Studio, but I never use it. <laughs> so <laughs> my Fair. studio, yeah, go ahead. My studio literally just consists of uh, a 25 key MIDI controller, my laptop, and my AKG headphones. Oh, you're <laughs> plugging straight into the laptop. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're on a Mac. They they usually have pretty good sound cards. Yeah, I'm. I. It's been doing serving me all right so far. I thought those headphones needed the the impedance on them was different. They needed more power. <laughs> they do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so which is why um I've gotten in the habit of and I know people do this anyway, but a lot of the time I work with the limiter on the master. Um and I'm always even though I I have it on there, I'm always checking with it off as well. Um just to make sure that what it's doing um isn't anything drastic. Right. Essentially right. just making it louder while I'm working because <laughs> the impedance on my headphones is so low and I won't be able to hear without <laughs> that limiter. Yeah. You know, they make like pretty nifty little headphone amps you could plug like right in there between the laptop and the headphone. I know. I've seen those and <laughs> I don't know why I haven't bought one. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it's, it's sad. What about plugins? What's your, some of your favorite plugins? Um, I mean, I know I already brought it up, but battery is hands down my favorite plugin. Uh, hmm. That honestly did the most for my mixes. Um, just because this, the samples it comes with are fantastic as well. Um, so you use a lot of stock battery plugins or samples? Yeah, I mean, it comes with just hundreds, whether they be from um, just analog drum machine samples or whatnot. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I do just um, use those. Though I should say that I really just I go crazy editing them, and I layer <laughs> a lot. Really, so they they really sound nothing like um, like they do when you I don't know click on them in the the preview window. Right, they sound great. I really like your drums. Yeah, well, <laughs> thank you. It's. It always makes me happy to hear that because I know I spend too much time working on them <laughs> because that's that's what I grew up doing and it's always been sort of my obsession and I have the bad habit of just really not even letting myself get started on a track until I like the drums. <laughs> that might be a good habit. I think I, it is, I guess, if you want a clean mix, but it's bad if you want to write good songs. <laughs> or like finished songs. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Um, but for other plugins, I'm a huge Silent. fat filter. Okay, nope. sure. Right. No, no, I actually used to though. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any like link here, but um, my uh, I don't know. My production's kind of everything sort of improved when I stopped using it because that was when I upgraded to Logic Pro X, and it's 64 bit only without a bridge. Ah. Uh. So I had to drop it finally, but 
so yeah, I don't know. Just a funny coincidence. That is a coincidence. I know everyone and their mom uses Cywin. Yeah. Tons yeah. of people. I know Oliver uses Cywin. <laughs> those dudes are at the top of the production value game. Right, right. But, um, no, Fab Filter plugins have been my life. Which ones? Um, the Pro L, uh, the limiter. Um, I don't actually use their EQ all that much, just simply because for the, I I just use the stock logic logic ones. Right. Um, That's surprising because a lot of people talk about that EQ. Yeah, I mean it's it's really fantastic. I use it on the master. Yeah. But on individual channels, I just. It's just habit to go to the logics. Um, Use Saturn. Yes, I was. That was what I was going to say next. I think that's a wonderful. Um, it. I don't know. I don't even really consider it a straight up distortion plugin. Right. It's sort of more just uh, saturation. I'd say. Right. Hence or the name. Oh, is it literally just? Uh, do they call it a saturation plugin? Well, I think they call it Saturn because it's a saturation plugin. Oh, well, that okay. That <laughs> hey, well, it took me like a year to figure that out. So, <laughs> yeah, but I think that's uh, that's a really good plugin. It's it's multi band too, right? Yeah, yeah, it can be really fantastic if you just want to, I don't know, grid up a certain bandwidth, or I don't know if you want your highs to just be. Uh, bit more interface or something huh. it's really easy um let's see their multi-band plugin big fan of that i haven't um, used that which is just like a multi-band compressor yeah okay yeah it's, it's nothing too crazy yeah um, it's usually just something i have on the, the master plugin or master uh, channel strip gotcha um <laughs> besides that since i really just use Massive and I guess a fair bit of FM8. Really? Do you use much of the Logic uh, synths? Not as much as I should. I use their sampler a lot. Right, right. But I know, I don't know them by name, but I've read of plenty of producers that um, do use stock. It was Eric Prize, I think. Um, I think he mentioned in some like in a Reddit AMA or something that he used uh, stock logic plugins. Really? And they're since. That's and surprising. Everything he does to me sounds so analog. Yeah. He, it's, I was really surprised when I read that. Wow. That's interesting. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's really clutch. I mean, those are the main ones. I use... Um, oh, I mean... Fat filters compressor is nice as well. It's I'm not like a master mix engineer or anything, so right. I don't I don't know. I don't have that thing on every track doing insane things. Right. But do like you, the mids. Do go you, ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you do your own mastering? Um, for almost all of my tracks, I have for my label re- release through Mr. Suicide Sheep. Uh, I actually had it mastered because I. I didn't know better, but they're like, no, we're doing it in-house. So um, Cruise is the track name. That track was not mastered by me. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I do. Oh, good. Um, well, but, let, let's get into that. Let's talk about your career. And uh, you, you say some of your tracks are signed. Um, well, the latest one you did, One Last Time, that sounds great. That's a great track. I mean, is, was that released under a label? Um, no, (laughs) it's kind yeah, that whole track was kind of funny. Um, I don't know. I made it and we were trying to contact Republic and because I mean, it's an Ariana Grande cover, but I don't know. Everything just kind of fell through. So we just put it out anyway. And, (laughs) um, Subtact actually, he's the one who mixed that though. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I saw that was a collaboration and... That's it's a great song. And I think it's cool that you didn't sample Ariana Grande. You had someone sing it. And that's probably why you're not getting pulled off like whatever if you put it up on YouTube or whatever. <laughs> yes, and that's why we did it. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> because I originally I started that idea to uh uh pitch down 
the pitch down vocals from some random acapella I found of that track. That's such a good idea, man. Yeah, it was, it was a funny sort of lead up to that. But <laughs> it worked out well. How did you get into that collaboration? Um, after I released my Odessa remix, um, Subtext hit me up and he does a lot of stuff through Mr. Suicide Sheep as well. So we kind of both knew of each other anyway. But after I released my Odessa thing, which is pretty heavy new disco stuff, um, he expressed his love for that kind of music and said he really wanted to make some tracks like that. So, Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, just kind of cranked that guy out and that was that. <laughs> so tell us, because a lot of people I'm sure are wondering this, you know, how did you go from you know, starting to produce to actually getting signed to a label? Man, it's a really funny story. Um, okay. Because it's, there's a lot of like things that happen where it's like, oh, this, this could be attributed to that, but there's just one little thing. So I, um, in the end, it ended up being because a friend posted um, Glow, the song that really started all this for me, on Mr. Suicide Cheap's Facebook. <laughs> uh, yeah, on his Facebook wall. I think he asked for some, if anyone had any new music or something, and he posted it. Because I, I, I wouldn't even send it to him. My other friend was like, you should send him this track. And I'm like, no, it sucks. Because <laughs> I thought it was terrible. I thought everyone was going to hate it. Right. And yeah, and then two weeks later, I got, within like a week of each other, I got an email from an A&R at Atlantic, and then Mr. Suicide Sheep emailed me, and he's like, can I upload it? It's like, yes. Wow. But since that's not really helpful to kind of explain before that, so I won um, two remix contests on Indaba in cool. last June or last July. And yeah, that's what really sort of started everything. I see. Well, and it all comes down to you being a great producer when the way which way you slice it. That's true. I mean, and I had entered a lot before that under a different name, but yeah, I mean, it finally just kind of worked out. Um, but anyway, yeah. So after I won those, this sort of small time um, SoundCloud channel, uh, promotional channel, Vibe With It, he had like 2,000 followers or something, which um, at the time was a huge deal for me because I had, I had two followers. <laughs> <laughs> which reminds me, Gold Room was my second follower, um, which was, yeah, that, that's a whole nother story. If we Gee, have time, I'll tell it. Sure. It's funny because he's not following me anymore. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I know. That's, that's for another time. But um, so, yeah, then after the vibe with the dudes, like, yeah, I'd love to, like your talented. I'd really love to upload some of your tracks. And um, yeah, so he released uh, a remix of, Gold Rooms Till Sunrise that I made. And then once I released Glow, I didn't even tell him about it because I really didn't think anyone would like it. <laughs> and then he asked me if he could upload it. So he did. And that's how the guy at Atlantic found out about me. Wow. Um, and then the Suicide Sheep thing. Yeah, like I said, that was the Facebook post. And then from there, um, I don't know. Everything just kind of got crazy. <laughs> like Sirius Radio ended up putting Glow on, and it was on like their YouTube top fifteen or something some week. And really? Yeah, it was absolutely insane. That's awesome, man. So, what was it on like the Sirius XM channels, like BPM and and uh, Electric Area? Yeah, I think um, for the, like the YouTube fifteen or whatever, it was on BPM. It was something that Chainsmokers hosted. Um, but then they actually picked it up for like permanent sort of, um, airplay, I guess. And that was on, do they have a chill channel or something like that? They might. I don't, I only listen to electric area and BPM. Okay. I think, I don't think it was either of those, but yeah, they okay. put it on some channel. That's killer, man. So, yeah. So do you make money with that? Um, <laughs> that's the thing. Like. With suicide cheap uploads and stuff, like I don't, the artists don't get money from that. Okay. And um, I think some people are, they're not cool with that. But 
at the same time, I think this is a good example of why that's, I mean, it's a great thing because once he put it on YouTube, that's how my, that's how the song ended up getting signed to Big Beat. And um, they licensed it to further Miami playlists. And <laughs> though I haven't seen any money from it yet, I know I have some waiting for me somewhere. I see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy named Bobby Osinski. He wrote no. the uh, Mixing Engineers Handbook. I hear him say on his podcast a lot or in different shows that your music is essentially your business card. You're not necessarily going to make money from your songs. You're going to become known because of your music. And then it's kind of up to you now that you have a following to figure out how to make money. But from music sales, a lot of people think that that's the golden ticket and it's not. That's like your business card. You basically handed them a song and said, this is what I'm about. So I don't think it's such a crime, you know what I mean? To, uh, to have lots of plays and not be raking in the dough because if you have lots of plays, then you have a lot of attention. And if you can't find out a way to make money, having all these followers and a lot of attention, then you need to work on your marketing chops. Not you. I'm just saying you know, producers <laughs> no, in, I, in general. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and that's kind of been my mindset about it because I mean, really I haven't been making a lot of money from music, right. but that's just, I mean, it's just, do you really want to try and crank out or just squeeze out a hundred bucks from your thousand followers? Or do you want to, I don't know, reach 40 times as many people as you usually would and just sort of put money back for a few, few months? Exactly. Exactly. I'm with you on that. Well, um, you mentioned that you won two remix contests. Can you give us any tips on how you would win a remix contest, like for somebody who wants to, to try? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I actually won three. Um, oh, wow. Because that, my Odessa remix, that, that ended up winning. It was for a contest. Um, so that was absolutely hilarious. But <laughs> what was yeah. hilarious about it? It's just like, <laughs> well, because the prize was playing at Bonnaroo. <laughs> and it's just like, what am I doing? <laughs> Did you do it? I did, yeah. But uh, before I forget about this remix thing, yeah, I'll, just, yeah. I'll just talk about that quick. Um, I, I don't, I don't think there's like a a real answer to it because I didn't, I didn't promote either remix. The first one was for a Parade of Light song, Golden, a uh, really cool song, and the second was for Jealous by Chromio. Um, and seriously, with just both of them. Um, I just kind of submitted them and that was that. I honestly forgot about the Parade of Lights thing. Um, I didn't I didn't even really think I should submit my song and my friend told me to, so I did. And I looked and it's like, oh, they're announcing the winners today. <laughs> I love <laughs> like, your tip. Submit it and that was that. <laughs> I, I know. Like, I feel like an asshole for not like having some cool <laughs> advice. That, but that's really all I did. Well, no, that's good. It's, it's good. I, I think it's a good answer. It's like, don't put too much thought into it. Just submit it. Yeah. But that, and the other thing is, I mean, the community, I did interact with the community a bit. I mean, Adaba has this... Uh, listening booth or whatever where it's like a raffle to play your song for everyone who's in there yeah and um i mean i got to kind of know some people through that i see those were sort of the first few people that started paying attention to me after i won those because even though winning a remix winning those contests was cool it it really didn't do much for me i mean the prizes were great but it's still like not that much happened really um and I, I don't know. Even if you don't win, I think it's it's still a great thing to do. Like this uh, guy, Funk LeBlanc or something, um, he entered it for the Chromio one. And he didn't win. But his uh, even before the contest was over, I think his remix had like 70,000 plays on SoundCloud. Really? Yeah. So it's... I don't know. You can try to cater to what you think the people judging might want to hear, but I don't know. Like in the end, I think they're, they're really just going to kind of pick what actually, no, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to like rationalize why I might've won. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I mean, it's good that you told us what you did and 
that's the main thing. Who knows what they were thinking? I'm sure they, they heard a great song and they picked it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's just really a crapshoot with whether it's in the style that they're looking for. Right. I got you. Well, sounds like you've done some pretty cool things in your career. What's been the most amazing moment of your career so far? Something you've uh, done that like blows you away and you go, this is just crazy. Um, I mean, my default answer kind of has to be Bonnaroo. Like I, that's still the first and only show I've ever played in my life. <laughs> and you DJ'd uh, there? Yeah, I played a two-hour set at Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how many people? Um, it was in the silent disco like tent, which is pretty small, but I mean, it, it was still terrifying for me. And I think there was probably, uh, there was a couple hundred. Dude, that's so cool. So did you have to like learn how to DJ for that gig or did you already know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so like I said, my default answer is Bonnaroo, but like for real, it was more like March through June. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, the coolest moment because um, after like a week after I won the Odessa thing and found out I had to play at Bonnaroo, <laughs> um, I took a trip to LA for like nine days and Warner Chapel ran like they ended up setting me up seven studio sessions in eight days. What? Yeah, with some some of the people I was with, I had absolutely no right to be in that room. <laughs> like who? Um, the the last session I had, and it was the only session that was um, just me and the artist, was with Kimbra, <laughs> and it was just. <laughs> I, yeah, it was six hours of like me internally panicking. Oh my God, dude. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, a super, super cool experience. Um, <laughs> so then I got back, I got back from that. And then I had like, uh, I had two weeks to like <laughs> figure out what I was doing <laughs> because uh, I got back on like the 20, 28th of May. Right. And then I played at Bonnaroo on June 12th. How did it go? It went really well. Um, it was a blast. I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so scared in my life. And the entire day leading up to that was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you were up there, how long did it take before the nerves went away? <sighs> it probably... Uh, I mean, it got easier instantly. Like, right as I started playing the first song, yeah, it got better, but... Um, it wasn't until probably halfway through that I got really comfortable with it. <laughs> I see. I see. But uh, yeah, it was a blast. I, I had a really great time. That's cool. It takes balls to do what you did there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, still, I still wonder how I did it. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think I would. <laughs> That's great. I commend you for that. Has there been any challenges that you faced in your career? Like something major that almost made you maybe want to quit? And what did you do to overcome it? From a production standpoint, um, I mean, really, it gets... try Just knowing that your music isn't where you want it to be, and even after, I don't know, even having those thoughts when you're two or three years in or something, I mean, that gets, that gets really hard. Yeah. Because you're like, how long is this going to take? <laughs> right. And that's what makes you really start questioning how much you want to do this. Like, huh. uh, is it worth really sort of, I don't know, giving up what a lot of your friends are doing to keep spending this much time working on it. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I guess it's sort of a mental thing where you just gotta, you either say yes or no. I mean, you either quit or not or don't quit. And, um, I didn't. And, that paid off. And I think that's, I think that's really just the most important thing is just remembering that, um, I mean, you, you will eventually get there right. if, if you stick with it, but a lot of people just don't. Um, because I mean, there's been plenty of little production things that have pissed me off or it's been like, why can't I solve this? But I mean, nothing, nothing's been that big of a deal. I see. It's true. Like what you were saying, and it, it happens slow. Getting better happens so slow for some people anyway, and, and me that 
from day to day, you can't really gauge if you improved, but after a couple months, you can, you know, it's, it's, it's weird like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you don't get, there isn't a lot of instant gratification sometimes. Right. And that, that can make, make it difficult to remember why you're doing it sometimes. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously we're all doing it because we love making music, but I, I mean, you're, it's a huge why if you think that certain aspects of it are just super tedious and not very fun and just simply not creative at all. Like organizing libraries or trying to find new good samples. It's like, that can get really boring. Yep. Yep. It's true. There's so many things like adding like, like sweep ups and stuff and making sure they're EQ'd properly and adjusting like filters at the right times. I mean, yeah. If you know you have to do it over and over, sometimes it does become tedious. Yeah, exactly. But it's kind of fun too. That's true. I mean, yeah, there are times where everything is super fun. Yeah. I might just be cynical because I've been kind of like in writer's block for the past month. (laughs) (laughs) So like music's kind of (laughs) in a weird place for me right now. Really? Well, you can't unlearn it. So that's a positive point. Yeah, that's true. Well, tell us what's been the best way you found to get your music out there and heard. Um. I mean, I kind of already talked about my story, which kind of points out that I didn't I didn't really have a direct approach to it, but I still I think it's important to um I mean, sending your music out to people is great, but you got to really make sure that who you're sending it to is like the right person. I mean, if you're trying to send a deep house song to a blog that posts a bunch of trap, right. I mean, it's obvious, but I feel like some people just send their music out everywhere. Yep. And it's like you're just wasting, I mean, you're really just wasting time if you do that. Um, I mean, sure, maybe you'll get lucky or something, but... I think you'll piss people off. I mean, yeah, there's that too. It's Because then you're wasting their time. Exactly. Like when somebody sends me a song and they, I could tell they just found my SoundCloud by just seeing the word EDM and they don't even know that I do a, a podcast, which is a talk show. Mm-hmm. I block them. I don't just ignore it. I block them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Just do some research into who you're sending your tracks, yeah. tracks to. Right. Um, yeah. Because I mean, I, I don't know, like, cause before, I guess around this time last year is when I, I was still sending all my songs out to blogs and stuff. And I don't know, like, because even though my Chromia remix won, it won the contest. Um, I got an email back from Mr. Suicide Sheep turning it down. <laughs> and that's why I didn't want to send him Glow. Uh, uh, but I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't like mad about him turning it down or anything. It's just like, okay, well, let's just... Uh, I was just email a bunch of blogs right. and I can't even remember who ended up posting it, but um, I think one out of like 10 or 11 blogs and SoundCloud channels, I, I messaged, um, ended up posting it. And that sounds about right. That's a good average. Yeah. So it's, um, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I wish I was more of an expert about marketing, but it's, yeah. It just it's it's kind of convoluted, I think, because there's just so many there's so many different approaches to it. I'm with you. Well, the the one common denominator is you have good music. You know, if if that wasn't there, it would you would it would be a complete lose. So I think that's probably the most important thing to me is oh yeah, ha- most having def- great songs. Um, yeah, I know you're completely right. It's because I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I hate to be like, I make great music. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I ended up, didn't, I didn't really have to do too much work in the end. Right. And I feel really fortunate for that. Because um, I mean, I know music's super sub- subjective, which is why I don't want to say I make great music and whatnot. Right. But um, I was fortunate enough that it really resonated with um, a decent amount of people, which is why, um, yeah, it ended up being a fairly easy process. There you go. You're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's the best piece of advice you could give to an aspiring producer right now before we end off? Um, uh, that's a good question. I mean, 
I know it's like a production podcast and I feel like I should have some cool technique to give out. No, but no, just whatever comes to your mind would be great. I mean, I don't know. I guess from uh, my experience, just really try not to compare yourself to others too much. Like we talked about earlier with like the young producers, like it's super easy to see like a 16 year old kid with 50,000 SoundCloud followers and be like, man, I'm really doing everything wrong. (laughs) I shouldn't be trying. Like I should just go play like tennis or something. (laughs) And you just really got, you really just got to worry about yourself. And, um, just remember to make music that, I know, have fun while you're making music and sort of make the music that you want to make and just worry about that because it's just super easy to get caught up in stats and yeah. followers. Like I, I still, I still do that and I know I shouldn't, but I mean, sometimes you'll see there's like 6,000 plays in the day, but then it'll drop back down to like 500. You're like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> You just got to remember that it's like, it's not about that. It's really just about making music. That's great advice, man. I think that's really good. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not just completely talking out my ass. No, no. <laughs> Tell us, uh, finally, where people could find out more about you and hear your stuff. Um, mainly just SoundCloud. Um, if you search Adam, A-T-T-O-M, and, uh, in the search bar, uh, most of most of the first results should be me. Cool. Yeah. Well, well, awesome, dude. Thanks so much for doing this interview. I mean, you gave tons of great information. Um, that was a fun talk. And uh, yeah, best of luck to you. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do this. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Absolutely. And everyone who's listening, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. That is going to be it for the EDM Producer Podcast for today. See you next time.